Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 95. Today's very special guest is Ivan Julian. Uh, I'm very honored to have Ivan on the show today. Ivan was the guitarist and member of Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Uh, he played on the album Blank Generation. So back in my feed, uh, you can see that we featured uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids' Blank Generation with my, from my conversation with Mike Watt. I feel like this is also a mutually kind of landmark episode for me because Ivan is a kind of a monumental inspirational figure, uh, kind of like Mike Watt and like Keith Richards that, uh, that Ivan and I talk about in the show. Um, about his interaction with him and meeting him once and uh, how, you know, how that happens. So you, you meet these people who are influential figures and what else can you really say? Yeah, it's, uh, it was great having him on. Uh, obviously, topic of discussion was uh, Rolling Stone's Sticky Fingers album, which is an amazing album. And uh, yeah, just trying to parse out the, the music history timeline here, you know, as far as like influential figures in the music industry, musicians primarily. And, uh, and the albums that affect them and that timeline, trying to figure it out. Okay, that's essentially the gist of this show here today. So, uh, also, uh, Ivan Julian has a new solo record out called Swing Your Lanterns. It's currently uh, available on Pravda Records. What you're listening to is the song Wild off of that album. And at the end of the episode, I will feature a small clip of another song called I Am Not a Drone Alone. That is definitely one of my favorites. It's a good one. We will provide links to Pravda Records to order the vinyl, which is currently in pre-sale status, I believe. So uh, links will be in the show notes. You can get that there. Uh, I have to I have to mention this. So through this album, I, I mentioned this to Ivan in my conversation with him, Swing Your Lanterns. It's a great record. And uh, I think the great thing about it is something that is mutually shared with the Rolling Stone's Sticky Fingers, according to what Ivan told me, is that it's a kind of a... a monumental piece of work it has a lot of texture to it. it has a lot of things going on it has a lot of variety to it and uh, that's kind of what i like most about that record swing your lanterns and uh, so i encourage you to go at least listen to it and then if you listen to it and you enjoy it by all means buy the record you know that's how it works um i hope you enjoy it and if you do uh, all that we ask is that you please do all the things you do with the internet like share subscribe comment rate review all of those things so again thank you very much folks enjoy Yeah, did you? I didn't interrupt anything, did I? You were you? Uh, no, busy? I was just um, uh, scraping tinsel off the floor to use for a video. Oh. <laughs> Are you? You're in your studio now. Yeah, yeah. This is where I am. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can't remember the name of your studio right now. Super Giraffe Sound. Super Giraffe Sound. It looks amazing. It's um, you know, the glorious result of um, the fascination with junk and the misspent youth, you know. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it looks beautiful, like artistically speaking, too. Like the the paint on the uh, you know, the paint job on the outside. Inside is obviously a gallery. It's uh, just very eclectic. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's we're lucky to have the place. We're really lucky to have the place. I, we are. I mean, I knock on wood. You know, every time yeah. I, I think about it, because it's in Williamsburg, and the real estate goes up here by the by the second. Oh, I bet. Yeah, New York is not. I I fear it to no end. Yeah, where where are you? My mask. Rhode Island. Oh, cool. Well, they might. Yeah, they, yeah. It's kind of re- reasonable to live there. Things aren't too bad. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's getting bad everywhere. But I mean, here seems still fairly 
realistic and possible, you know? I don't know what they're thinking about people paying four grand a month for anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, without the cost of living going up either. I mean, yeah. What, what is someone to do? Yeah. It's crazy. Know. Well, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. This is just the way the world works, I guess. I don't, I don't really know what to tell you about that. Yeah. So true. <laughs> so, um, Ivan, it's been a, it's an honor to have you here to speak with you. And, uh, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, so just to kind of let you know, I mean, what I do here is I talk to typically musicians about an album that is influential to them, that they find important to, you know, the art that they create. So I want to just go ahead and get right into it. You chose uh, Rolling Stone's Sticky Fingers. To me, that's the epitome of a perfect album. Why is that? I mean, because the, 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 the way it's, it's the way it, takes you through different emotions the way it takes you through different tempos it's much like a book where mm. in, in the opening chords that kind of gets your attention to moonlight mile at the very end of the, of the whole record it takes you on a journey it's like it's like it's like a um um being guided through a house with different rooms yeah. And you know, a lot of albums try to do that, but that album, I think, I mean, just the songs, everything about it, the way it's recorded, the fact that a lot of it was done at Muscle Shoals, which is just you know a magical place to record, you know, yeah. down south. Right. Um, and I never find myself tiring of this record, you know, because yeah. I mean, in all the different, I mean, you could say genres, but like all the different you know approaches they take as well. Right, right. So um, what what I find interesting is that um, like I spoke with. Um, I spoke with Mike Watt uh, a while back now, but it was about like the album that he chose was uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids Blank Generation. Well, that's that's very nice of him. Yeah, no, I mean, and it was great. It was a great conversation. And it's it's funny because like so that talk that I have with him, uh, I kind of remember just trying to, you know, tie in like what is the connection to punk and like how does that go on to influence this band that he was in, the Minutemen, to, to, you know, inspire another generation many generations of people as well i mean what is it like for you to be part of a, a record that was also inspirational to know to a number of generations and even people like him like mike watt well i mean it, it's it's quite an honor actually and it's something that you set out to do when you make a record you know you try you, you hope that you know that the music will um be um, you know, perennial and let's like go on for, 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 for as long as people want to listen to it. And I'm always, you know, amazed that even when, you know, 20 year olds come up to me and talk about blank generation, it's, it's something that we set out, <clears throat> set out to do. We wanted to make a record that was compelling that people would, would want to hear, not just then at the moment. It wasn't, we didn't, we didn't approach it as a punk record. We approached it as, you know, a rock and roll record and we tried to do the best we could. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, that's interesting because I think I actually remember asking him that same question. It was just like, well, did you set out to create something that was, you know, uh, just timeless and, and, you know, inspirational or generational or something? Um, we, yeah, I mean, unconsciously, um, um, happens in happenstance i mean it happened right. I mean, <clears throat> yes we do a lot i think a lot of people try to do that i mean sometimes you achieve it sometimes you don't i mean even on different records but um <clears throat> that's something that we did set out to do to make something that would at least make your ears stand stand on end 
And, um, you know, and the songs were good. And I mean, and the, the flow, the sequence of the record was good. So I, 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 I always thought that people would look at it and say, hey, that's a great record. I never thought that people would be talking about it, you know, 40 years later. I mean, right. You know, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing is it's like, I mean, it's it's impossible to have that foresight. But I mean, you were proud of the work and you knew that it was something, you know, something great. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, you know, Quine, Quine and, my, and my guitar playing the way it weaved together. I mean, and it was um, it, it was a, a very uh, how can I say a very strangely flavored drink, you know, with Mark on drums and Richard playing bass and singing and Bob and I, I mean, and we didn't fit the mold at all at the time. And, you know, we got um, kind of um, put aside by the record company because of that, because we weren't your normal looking or sounding rock and roll band. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, but but punk was kind of coming up at that time. I mean, there was already, I, I think, I, I mean, I might get the timeline wrong, but I mean, I think that there were a few kind of like punk bands that we think of these days that were um the the trendsetters of the punk movement in new york you know like in blondie ramones yeah, but, but that, see, that took a while to happen i mean i'm talking about in the in inception of the whole thing when right. we all just first got signed <clears throat> okay and it was about the same six months when everybody, all the bands you're talking about and the Vortex all got signed um, to one record label or, or the other. Oh, okay. And then it was time to play it for America. And, okay. and it, it was time for the record companies to sell it to America. And um, the Vortex didn't really fit <laughs> a lot of, um, um, you know, the, their demographic that they were trying to reach, you know. I mean, uh, right. you know, some, some other bands did, did more. But still, <clears throat> we were definitely proud of the record. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that I think that's maybe where I got confused. Even speaking with Mike, was that um, there was no movement at that time. Like that was the beginning of all of it, really, for the most part. Yeah, because I mean, you had to go through a certain kind of gauntlet. I mean, to get signed by a record company back in those days. You know that all the bands from downtown and CBGB's, you know, um, um, period didn't go through. The, I mean, the, the people came that the powers that be with, you know, the checkbooks came down and said that there was something happening and saw that there are police lines around the block to see us. So mm. they thought, there's, you know, we want to be a part of that. Like just like they did in Seattle and other places as well. I mean, you know, they go there and they think, oh, something's happening here. And then to you know, qu quote uh, someone and I'm not sure I'm not exactly sure what it is, <laughs> you know, but it's happening, you know, and yeah. that's um. That that's that's what was going on then. Right. There's something here we can make money on. Well, that's they're in that business. I mean, yeah. and the closer you get to it, the more you realize that these people could be selling shoes or hats, you know, or umbrellas. I mean, they, very few of them had any kind of passion for music and in the music they were selling. Not like right. I won't say all, but very few did. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I'm sure that there were some that were that had some kind of uh, morals to it and and interest in what they were doing. Yeah. So um, now I think it's, I, I find it interesting uh, also that, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to think of like a, a time frame because like, um, let's see, like, so the album that you chose, Rolling Stone, Sticky Fingers, came out in 71. Uh, you end up in the Voidoids and kind of starting that album around what year was that? It would have been 76, 77. 76, 77. Okay. So. Uh, it, so this music is is not classic rock at this point. This is actually kind of relevant music at the time. Sticky fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, it had been five or six years. I mean, you know, that I mean, depending on where you lived, I mean, the, the country had gone through several trends by then. I mean, uh, disco was starting. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was it wasn't by any means classic rock. It was still it was still relevant to some degree. I mean, if you, you could yeah. talk about talk to people about the record and they knew it, you know, pretty much knew what you were talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, and I cut my teeth on it as a musician because this year you're talking about, um, I was uh, 15, 16 years old when this thing came out, you know, and I was learning to play the, yeah, so I was learning to play the guitar. So, I mean, so the, it had a huge influence on me, especially since a lot of the, you know, I, I mean, guitar players then, this was like, um, you know, just after the 60s and a lot of the guitar players that were getting attention were thrashers and you know kind of fast note players and big solo players and all that and here was a record where there wasn't much of that but the songs were, were what stood out and and made you want to hear it over and over again more so than some of the others that you know were playing a million miles a minute mm, right um yeah thinking about this record i mean like so did, did you hear it when it came out in 71 that's the first time yeah yeah and um so what 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 a first attracted you to it at that time um well it, it was a turning point for the stones you know because i mean they just released um um beggar's banquet which caught my attention and then um uh, let it bleed which got my attention and they were headed in this kind of blues direction which mm. i mean i i really love because i you know I, I like to say when i was a teenager most of the people i listened to were dead you know i mean and they were they, yeah. they were drawing this as keith richards says they they took our culture and gave it back to us because we didn't know what to do with it and that's exactly what they did on that record um, so, and that's, that's, that's what really drew me to it. I mean, and I, I didn't think at the time that I, I, I would be, it would become one of my favorite records. I thought it was a really good record. It, it was a really great trilogy transition from where they were with, um, uh, you know, Satanic Majesty's Request and that, and that whole thing. I mean, they really had to pull themselves out of a hole and they did with Jimmy Miller producing. So, right. and, 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 you know, and everything about it was, it's kind of like Bowie in a way when he came out with um, Ziggy Stardust and, and it was printed, pressed on this Dynaflex vinyl that you could almost bend in half. Oh, so yeah. everything about this release was new, you know, in, in terms of Bowie. And the same thing with the Stones is like, you know, Keith Richards is playing a clear guitar, um, you know, there's slide guitar on the, on, on the record. Um, there's kind of this Calypso thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it was um, it, very fresh sounding at the time. Hmm. Okay. And people um, talk about records that are made at Muscle Shoals, that it has some kind of, you know, kind of mojo happening because of the mud and the river and all that. I mean, people love to go there to record. Right, right. All the in-house players, too. I mean, that that's kind of like what made that studio as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, Depending um, on which, which, which studio you're talking about and whose story you believe in all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's true. But I mean, yeah, that I mean, the studio itself is just kind of like proven to kind of just have some magic and everybody everybody that recorded there made something that was a like i believe the, the room the room is the, is the you know the fifth person in the band the, the room has a lot to do with the way the way things sound i believe oh i'm sure of it absolutely i mean uh did you ever record there have you had, a, had any experience there? no i've never had the honor to, or privilege to go down there um right okay you know, I'd, I'd like to, <clears throat> i'd like to I mean, but but I don't know what I mean. I don't know what my expectations would be. <laughs> I mean, at this point, yeah. I mean, do they actually still record even there? I'm not sure. Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm not sure. Um, 
A friend of mine paid for his sons to go down there and record. This was about five years ago, so I think they were open then. You know, mm. and you have enough money, you can, any like it's a recording studio, anybody can go and record. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now uh, let me think about something. Let's go back into the past a little bit. I mean, I actually, I kind of know quite a bit about you. I've done a lot of research. And so I kind of know a lot about your, your previous history, kind of like uh, how you grew up and stuff. Where were you born? I was born in Washington, D.C. Okay, it was in D.C. But yeah. you, you grew up, uh, you know, uh, son of a uh, military man, uh, Navy man, was it? Navy man, yeah. So, so we spent did a lot of moving around. A lot of moving around, and, and primarily we were in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Right. Okay. And uh, there was not a lot of music down there at the time that you were a child. Well, no, because we weren't, I mean, the airways weren't allowed to reach the base, and the, ba and the, the radio station was controlled by the U.S. Navy. So um, the, the most pop we got was on top of O Smokey, mm -hmm. Girl Eyes. Right. You know? So, I mean, I, I was searching, I was curious, but I didn't, it, it, there was just nothing there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so what, what was like music for, like for you as a young person? I mean, when was the first time you kind of uh, really found something that kind of spoke to you? Well, before we went down, I mean, which was kind of oh, 59, I think, or something like that, I had older cousins. And so they would listen to music and I would listen to things like Leslie Gore, you know, um, and mm. Buddy Holly but I was t a tiny child. I kind of, so I kind of ha have a, a vague memory of, the, of being there and hearing these things. I de definitely remember hearing It's My Party, and I'll cry if I want to while I was with her because she played it all the time. But what really happened was when I came back from, from Cuba, I, I was then like 10 years old or something like that, and the, the whole culture just hit me in like a barrage, you know, like especially the music culture, like so many different radio stations, so much different, so, so much music, so many different types of music being played on the same radio station, which made a, a big difference. Mm. And, and, and and I thought this is something I really want to know about it. It just really um, uh, caught my curiosity and, and, and made me want to know everything about it and even be part of it somehow. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, so when do you find the stones? Um, uh, there was a drugstore, <laughs> and that's where you bought your LPs back then. And like, um, oh, right. you know, the rack jobbers would have this, the, the records there and they had a copy of, um, high tides, green grass. Okay. Which is, which the stones greatest hits album. All right. Oh, okay. Had a satisfaction on it and all that. And it was a like, Three dollars and twenty nine cents, and I thought, oh God, how am I ever going to afford this? You know, because I had bought some singles, but I thought this is like astronomical. But the cover just completely freaked me out. I thought these are the weirdest looking people I've ever seen in my life. You know, not not really having heard that much, except maybe I can't get no satisfaction. Um, and th then after I somehow saved money and bought the record, I, w I was captured by the the snare drum sound. That's when I start really started to realize the sounds, the recorded sounds of different different instruments. The, the mm. snare drum sound really got to me. I thought, how do they get a drum to sound like that? And um, the, yeah, I, I just love the way the way it sounded. It's funny. Later on, when I was exposed to the Beatles and the Stones, you could always tell which one's record was coming on the radio because the Beatles were in tune and the Stones weren't. <laughs> yeah, huh? that's so weird. Um, 
I actually have a quote here from uh, Andy Johns, uh, Glenn Johns's brother, yeah, about, yeah. Re- about recording the Stones. And he says uh, the whole thing with the Stones is the groove. They might settle into a groove. They might start to get a groove going. But what they're looking for the whole time is that fucking Rolling Stones groove. But it's driving you nutty because they are so good, but they can sound like the worst fucking band in the world. Keith can be out of tune. Charlie can miss a beat. Everyone will play too loud. And why won't Wyman will give up in frustration. But but when they do the take, uh, everything converges into one. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that quote before. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's what attracted to me them to me as well is the groove. Mm-hmm. They have, I mean, it's like this. I mean, a lot of it was maracas and Charlie's drum playing, which was you know phenomenal for that band or for any band actually. If you listen to them, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and it, they, they every song had this kind of you know sultry groove about it, rather it was fast or slow. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and but perfect. Wyman's bass parts were great as well. Mother's Little Helper, that bass part where he slides all over the place, that boom, 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 boom. That's so cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. And so, so, um, uh, kind of, I don't want to say influential. I want to say like that, that it was like, uh, otherworldly because of at the, at the time, right? I mean, like these guys are, are, are forefathers of kind of like what rock music really becomes. Yeah. You know? So they're kind of like the first to be doing these things. And, and you know, and it derives from from the blues mostly. I mean, were you, were you a blues fan at the time? Absolutely. Because because of the Stones, I would read interviews and, and find out, well, who's he listening to? Where is he getting this? And I mean, he's he's listening to Muddy Waters. He's listening to Howlin' Wolf. He's li- listening to Hubert Sumlin and, and Willie Johnson and all these guitar players that no one in the States knew about anymore, even though they you know, had R&B hits in the 50s. And that's that's and um, I, I could go on. I mean, but right. You just you know you anything anything that you study and, and you work at you should really study the history to find out you know the essence of it. I mean you can go back to Fletcher Henderson play you know and Louis Armstrong playing with him. You go to Charlie Christian, allegedly the grandfather of the electric guitar. His stuff is great. Quan and I we used to sit and like um, just figure out like two bars of the solo he would do, you know, and try to use it somehow. I mean, because it was just so, so astronomically great. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's how I got got into the blues. I mean, and also, I have to say, um, there, I had a friend, his name was Abad Baram, and he was from India. And he had a whole different, to, to him, it, it, how can I say, there wasn't a, a division in, in, in what he listened to because to him it was a natural progression, you know, being from India and living here, that the Stones learned from the, the blues and there were all these great blues players, you know, Hound Dog Killer, you know, all that. So, um, and he was a good friend of mine as, as well growing up, him and Ted Nicely, that, um, you know, produced Fugazi. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I heard we about we that. all went to the same high school. <laughs> you know really? what, here... Bad Brains, uh, HR, Ted, and I all went to the same high school, Central High School, in um, C- in C- Pleasant, Maryland. Wow, that's crazy. It is crazy. Small world, I guess, huh? Why you got to behave? <laughs> so, um, let me see. So that, now you said something that that kind of like led me to to wonder. Um, you know, that's kind of why I, I do this show is is to try to try to kind of like. Uh, follow the the timeline kind of follow the through lines of of uh not only like music history but like you know inspiration like why why is it that you know these blues players 
back in the 50s and 60s, you know, inspired people like the Rolling Stones that end up, you know, catching your ear and you go on and kind of like make your own thing out of what they do and so forth. So, I mean, it's kind of like, that's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of like learning as I go, uh, as far as- Well, let me like, tell you uh, something about that whole um, uh, journey. I mean, part of it. Later sure. on, I met Giorgio Gamelski. Yes, um, I heard about that. Yeah, who used to manage the Stones and the Yardbirds as well. And Giorgio was the one, I mean, who who had all these records and turned them on to all this whole great blue stuff. I mean, I don't know if it's true anymore, but I mean, it, there was a time when you could go into record shops in, in London and, and France and find things, American records, you would never find here of all genres. But anyway, hmm. he turned them on to, um, you know, all, all the old blues stuff and convinced them to become a blues band. And um, then he, he had a falling out with them. Um, this is according to Giorgio, because they started dancing around and moving and Giorgio wanted them to sit down like the old blues guys. <laughs> I'm sure there were other things, I think, factors at play as well. But yeah, so he, but yeah. I mean, he's he's the one who supplied them with the records and, and, taught, and let them know what was going on. Right. Yeah. Well, there's got to be somebody, right? There's always somebody. You yeah, know, yeah. It's always a mentor. Is you just don't like, you know? I mean, I mean, sometimes yeah. you hop upon things. I mean, but usually there's there's someone that you know kind of guides you. I mean, and helps helps you um, go in the right direction. Or right. Right. Direction. So so who could you say might have been your mentor? I have to say a bod. I have to say a bod because I was playing all this stuff from kind of a, I don't know, um, an American perspective. I was, you know, learning all these songs, and he basically said, "No, you're you're missing the whole point." You know, I mean, this is when I was like 16. He said, "You're just missing the whole point," and I mean, he was a really great guitar player and still is a great guitar player as well. And you know, he, he let me know about the, the nuance of what you know the the, the riff is trying to say. I mean, the, the open tunings. You know, how you can only play this in an open tuning for it to make sense. These hmm. kind of things. So I would have to say, I would have to say him, and Giorgio to some degree, because Giorgio turned me on to um. Uh, um, African music and Fela Kuti, you know, because this is what he was listening to at the time. Mm. And um, yeah, but mainly a bod. And if, if there had, if I had another mentor, it would be Giorgio. Um, yeah. How did you meet Giorgio? God, I can't remember. Um, was it in I the mean, States or was it in the, is it no, it was in New York. Place? He had a loft, uh, he had a loft here. Um, and we started for, I don't know. I can't remember how I actually met him. I could have been at the ocean club or or one of those clubs downtown. Um, but he had a, a building um, that had three floors and he let us rehearse in his basement. Mm. And then we became friends from, the, from from then on, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, uh, I, that's funny you asked that question because I can't really remember the first time I met him. But well, um, This is a really long time ago. This is obviously before you even went to uh, to London to find work, music work, right? No, this is after, this is after the oh. Vodoy. I should remember. Oh, after the Voidites. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I and I remember London, so I should remember this. I can't remember the first time you know we we actually met. Oh, okay. So then, when you're meeting him, he had already managed uh, the Stones. He had already managed the Stones. He had already managed the Yardbirds. He had moved from Europe to New York City. Okay. All right. And so become did... somewhat of an impresario for different you know events and things. Yeah, yeah. So, did you ever get an opportunity to meet the Stones at any point? I met Keith a couple times, you know, yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's kind of like meeting your idols. He was, he was great. Don't get me wrong. There was nothing negative about it. I was just too nervous to, you know, have 
mean anything, <laughs> be right, worthwhile, right. you know? Yeah, I mean, th that's the thing about meeting celebrities or, or people that you just admire and respect is that sometimes I have the pro same problem too. I mean, even having these conversations, I, I sometimes feel like I'm a stumbling idiot, but I mean, you know, it's it's all out of love. It's all out of respect. I mean, no, it's true. But this was a guy. I mean, I'd held solely responsible for him. You know, pretty much. You know, rock and roll at, at the time and my guitar playing. I mean, and it, we were thrust in a we were in an elevator together all of a sudden, and I'm like, and I'm looking down at the floor and I see this boots and I look up and I go further and I, I my head goes up and I go, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and and we were going to the same party and I said, you know. Actually, what I said to him was like, you know, you've been such a huge influence on my playing and I want to thank you. And he goes, I have a habit of doing that. That was his response. <laughs> that's, hey, I mean, coming from Keith, that's kind of what you come to expect. <laughs> exactly. And, and then I, I, had, I had nothing else to say. But yeah, yeah. So I, I, he's, he's the only one I've met. Cool. Oh, wow. That looks great. I mean, hey, uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel. I mean, obviously meeting idols and stuff, it's kind of like a weird thing. But, uh, but uh, you had the experience at least. You know that's pretty impressive because not many people get to no it's true it's true you know and whatever your field is to meet the person you know that is like you consider your, your mentor not many people get to meet them and have it be a positive experience at that you know right right yeah yeah i'm i'm so, I'm so happy to hear that he just wasn't like, he wasn't a dick you know i mean because he gets it all the time i'm sure so i mean like you have to kind of expect it but it's nice that he's respectful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he seemed like, you know, um, he's, he is, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. No reason not to think, to think not. Right. All right. Well, um, I think, uh, we should probably just try to go ahead and get through this record a little bit. Um, I kind of just do a little track by track, uh, analysis and, and, you know, maybe have a question for you by per, per song, if that's okay. cool. Um, so the record starts off with the song Brown Sugar, which, I have a I have a problem, or at least I, I I actually don't have anything for this song written down for me to ask you about because, you know, in my research, I don't know how well you know the lyrical content of this song. Yeah, I know it very well. Oh, okay. So I mean, I, I guess it's kind of controversial. The song, like especially now, like it's you know. Yeah, especially now. But he's writing from a perspective. You know, it's it's a song, and he's writing from a perspective. He's not you know glorifying it or anything. He's just documenting what happened back then. You know, you right. know, English blood runs hot. Lady on the house wondering when it's going to stop. I mean, yeah. I mean, here and whipped the women just around midnight. These are things that happen. You know, right. it's not like he's, you know, glorifying it, going, oh, this is so great. It's like, it's, it's, to me, it's an amazing, amazingly lyrical song. I mean, you yeah, know. yeah. But then also, I mean, it's also um, kind of uh, his own fascination, right? I mean, because even like by the third verse, I believe it is, where he kind of says, he should have heard me around midnight, right? Because he's kind of like, you know, admitting how he, he likes dark women. Well, yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that at all. Because I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm aware, even then, you know, of of the flack and, and uh, he got from for, for especially that song and the controversy surrounding it. I mean, in interviews and stuff. Um, and I, I I thought about it then, and I th I think about it, you know, even today. And I, I I mean, I think you could find you know controversy in anything if you dig deep enough, or if you if you want to take it from that angle. But to me. I see. I don't know him, and I don't know how he wrote the song. I, I, I mean, I, I just—I'm pretty sure he didn't write it from a racist perspective. 
Oh yeah, I don't think it's racist at all. I mean, I think he's 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 like you were saying, just kind of calling out some facts, just kind of like this is what happened, this is what was going on, you know, in our country in the United States. Yeah. Um, and then even still admitting his own kind of you know uh, fascination with with darker women, you know, as a white in person. South. See, people don't understand that. Like in the early days of their touring, they spent a lot of time down south you know, mm. absorbing culture and, and, and making good friends and stuff like that, that they still have to this day. So, I mean, they probably know more about the American South than most Americans do. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of their idols come from there. I mean, a lot of the blues musicians yeah. and so forth. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, yeah, n nothing really to say there. I don't think, cause I, there's nothing I really want to tackle about it, but I, it's a great song nonetheless i love the guitar part and i just learned recently that jagger wrote the part i always thought that was classic keith richards yeah but, um, yeah but it, it's evidently jagger and it just it really like kind of it's really like driving a stick shift the way that song goes about i, I love it mm. yeah it's very very catchy great song um so then that leads into the next song sway so um let me see i have some sample lyrics here uh one of them says uh do you ever wake up to find a day that broke up your mind, destroying your notion of circular time? So, I mean, with thinking about those lyrics, because like, I, I couldn't find any information about the song, about the recording or the writing of it that, you know, had any kind of like information regarding like, you know, what it's about or anything like that. So uh, with it being hard to say what the song is about, it certainly just seems heavy like a heavy song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at Jagger's songs every once in a while, and I'll try to think of another one, he does always touch on like, you know, going um, through a hard time, you know? I mean, mm. just kind of just like, if I, if I, the evil eyes got, got you in its way. It's just like kind of like going through this, uh, this lulls valley of, of bad luck. He, he does that in other songs as well. Yeah, yeah. Um... So this song, this is one of the songs that uh, makes me think about the universal universality of music, uh, but how it can also be incredibly personal, right? Depending on like kind of how you take a song. Um, can you tell me about uh, a song either on this album or anyone that comes to mind that really hits you in the heart? Um. Uh, well, on this album. I'd have to say Moonlight Mile. Mm. Okay. Um, and um, uh, other than that, I'd have to say Greenville by, Greenville? Um, by Lucinda Williams. Oh, okay. Almost everything she sings hits me in the heart. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, like, um, are you, are you, I mean, is that, that something that you kind of like look for in music? Like, like, um, I mean, I don't know what it is like for you, like when you find a new record, like how you kind of consume it and like, you know, do you, do you, are you like, when you listen to something, do you think about how is it affecting me? Like, how is this making me feel? Or is it just kind of like a wash over you? No, I'm thinking that it's making me feel. Yeah. And it depends on yeah. what music that is and what yeah that, that it's making that that it is making me feel for instance i mean when i first heard porter's head I just um a dummy it just blew me away it mm. just completely blew me away and, and it made me feel it made, it made me think okay I, I have to go back there and find out you know what why this is doing this to me same thing with this guy i just I, unfortunately and i hate to admit my ignorance but i just discovered him towns van zandt oh okay 
Yeah. Jeez, man. What a songwriter. You know? Yeah, right. I mean, I, I, I heard that and I listened, like, I don't know, these five or six times to this record. It's like, it just blew me away. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, to answer your question, it, it, it has to make me feel, or it, you know, or, or, to, yeah, it has to make me feel some, some way, whether it's happy or sad or whatever, or or in wonderment. But I, it has to be able to reach reach inside me. Yeah. And do you find it like it happens on the first listen, or do you feel like you need to listen to something again? It depends on the record. Right. It depends on the record. Um, okay, for instance, here's a good example. Um, uh, uh, P.J. Harvey's Desire. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay, the one that came after Bringing You My Love. At first, I did, really didn't care for that record. You know, I thought, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't sound like the other one. It's, it's weird. And then after the third or fourth listen, I couldn't stop listening to it. And I'm, I'm sure other people have that experience for some records as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, so... It, 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 it's not it's not always the first time sometimes it, i mean but then again i do give it a second chance you know or or, or a third chance or something i'm not i never just listen to something and go oh that's garbage unless well maybe sometimes i do <laughs> but you know yeah. I, I try not to anyway you know right sure sure it's hard sometimes to like you know think like i gotta give this a second chance you know i mean like unless it comes kind of like highly recommended and you don't get it the first time most likely i think the second or third listen is probably going to go down down the road so at some point yeah well that song i mentioned greenville is a perfect example of that because that's on an album called dirt wheels on a gravel road Mm -hmm. and i listened to it the first time and i I just thought well this is awful you know i mean and then for some reason i listened to the second side and that's where that song is and plus a a couple of other songs that are just mind-blowing and then i I learned that there were two producers on the record one produced Mm -hmm. like kind of the first couple of songs and one produced the other songs and it took two years to make the record and had i not gone back and listened to the the rest of the record then i still would not know about that and think it was you know not enough up to par record right yeah how interesting um so now, speaking of, of music that really hits you in the heart, what, what about your music? Like, um, like which song, let's just, let's just narrow this down to, to your new album, uh, Swing Your Lanterns. Uh, which song on your new album do you feel like hits you the most? Um, uh, they all hit me in d- different ways. Um, I, I mean, I would say I'm not a drone alone. Hmm. That's a good one. I like that one. You know, because it really speaks to the, you know, the the, the problems we're going right through right now with um, just um, how we've trashed our planet and how it's getting back at us, you know, which is yeah. why I'm wearing glasses, because I now have allergies where I never had them before in my life. It's like the earth is saying, you know what? Screw you guys. OK, <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to get rid of us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know. And that's what, that's the one thing. This is kind of off the off the track, but that's one thing I find fascinating about drones and like that fly, because it really makes us look like the insects that we are. You know, kind of just scurrying around, blowing mm-hmm. things up. You know, right. pissing in the rivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just have we, we we're just mindless. We're just needless. Like, well, what is what is our point? Yeah, sometimes you think that's true. I mean, then again, we do have some kind of survival salvation factor built in our DNA that kind of keeps us going somehow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, absolutely. I mean, like we have no, we, we, we 
can't help but to try to keep ourselves alive, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even at the detriment of our planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, and and others, because now they're, they're discussing, well, you know, let's go mine the moon. You know, that's going to turn out fine. Oh, my you God. Know? <laughs> let's, let's ruin the whole universe. Fuck exactly. this planet. <laughs> We've gotten just about everything we can out of this planet. Let's go to other ones. You know? Exactly. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Wild Horses. How about that? It's a beautiful song. It's a be- be- of course it's a beautiful song. Uh, you know, Keith wrote it about his daughter being born and having to go on the road. But it's um, it's just a, a beautiful so- song influenced by country music, which mm. again, when you when you hear that, it makes you go and go. Well, okay, let's talk about George George Jones. Let's talk about early Hank Williams recordings. Let's let's, let's go listen to that. You know, now that we've had this, you know, as, as kind of a, a badge. Let's go find out about you know the country music and all these things, and let's try to play some of it and try to learn some of it. And 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 as a musician, the B minor to G is just it just you know opens your heart. Yeah, interesting. You know? Okay, I have to I'll have to try to learn how to play this song. I've never I don't do covers very often, but sometimes you know you hear a song and you're just like I really wish I could knew how to play that. That's the thing about that album, except for maybe the open tuning stuff which is easy if you tune your guitar open it, most of it's really easy to play you know oh, i mean okay. well is another thing but you can definitely figure out what's going on yeah well maybe you can i don't i don't know about me i'm not that good <laughs> um so let's see wild horses i got i have this quote from uh, keith richards from his book life <clears throat> uh the quote says it was one of those magical moments when things come together it's like satisfaction you just dream it and suddenly it's all in your hands once you've got the vision in your mind of wild horses, I mean, what's the next phrase you're going to use? It's got to be, couldn't drag me away. <laughs> That's very key. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then he goes on to say something along the lines of how, how sometimes uh, a song seems to write itself, you know. Um, have you had any experience like that uh, recording this new album? Oh yeah. Um, the other song I was going to mention is the one that you know that kind of touches me is "Love Affair." I mean, it just came about. I mean, the chords and the lyrics just came together. I was writing a song about um, you know the, um, a breakup of a relationship. I mean, but I wanted it to be the ultimate song about the breakup of a relationship and how mm. both people are feeling. You know, not just one. And it just it just came. It just the chords came. Everything came. You know, so yeah, it sometimes it happens like that. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you gotta you, you gotta go find it, but sometimes it does does come to you. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember who said it. Uh, something about just kind of like um, you know, writing music is kind of like uh, receiving uh, signals from a muse, and you just Absolutely. have to kind of keep your your antenna open to to receive it. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's funny. I I solely believe that that we're just channeled. I mean, sometimes to kind of put these things down, rather anybody hears them or not. I mean, but I mean, I, I find in in the best case scenario, it's not necessarily coming from within. It's coming from somewhere else. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I can't remember who said that. Now now that I say it, but <laughs> I know I've heard it. <laughs> I believe you. All right. So. Um, Next song, Can't You Hear Me Knocking. What a great riff. Fucking crazy riff. Crazy riff. I mean, and it just, I mean, you know what? And I've I've learned to play that song over the years and, and you know, found out I was, thought I was playing it right, 
found I was playing it completely wrong. It's much simpler than I thought it was, you know, especially that middle break. And it, um, it's, I don't know who they're paying homage to on that. It's like, um, I, I want to mm. say Little Richard, but I mean, musically it has nothing to do, do, do with that. Um, it's kind of one of those weird, like hybrids, right? Like, you know, you know that it's inspired by the blues, right? But yeah. it's like the way that they do it, it's got a different kind of like funky take to it. And it's just so grungy and like dirty. Yeah, exactly. And then it ends with this kind of, I don't know, a West Coast kind of riff that boom, 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 song rather than it just being verse chorus verse chorus you know solo so it's, it's good to have it in there like that yeah also yeah. at the time thinking about it i mean this was a period where most bands were doing jam sessions so you know so therefore they'd have a record and they'd have like a 20 minute jam in the middle of the, of the you know song or something like that and the mm. stones kind of touched on that they said oh, well here's a 30 second jam in the middle of a song without <clears throat> it going on and on huh interesting okay um so let me see. So, so this song, I mean, not much to say about it, but that riff, that riff is just so, so catchy. It's infectious. It's dirty. It's groovy. It's all of the things you want. Um, can you think of a song or maybe another riff that makes you want to like fuck or fight more than this song? Like depending on, like, I don't know how it hits you, but it's like, it's gotta be one of those two like extremes. <laughs> um, Two. One of them is um, "Hey, Hey, Hey, Hey" by Little Richard. Mm, you know, okay. it's on the backside of of, of uh, Kansas City. I mean, it's a, a breakneck tempo, tempo. I don't know how they recorded it because everything sounds like it's on fire, and it just makes you want to go like smash some window or something. It's just the, the total riot song. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that that's that definitely definitely one because I when I first heard that I thought, and it, I heard it in the sixties. I thought, how could people have heard this in the fifties and not go crazy? You know, it's just makes you want to just, you know, go nuts. Yeah. I think some people in his audience did. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of going nuts, you know what? I don't think I have a question for you about this, but I know that uh, that you spent time and recorded on the Santa Anista record with The Clash. Mm -hmm. um, I only have to ask because I'm a, I'm a huge Clash fan. Um, did you spend time in the Split Bunker with them? No. <laughs> okay that's that's uh unfortunate i guess kind of i mean so when, when would that have been well i mean because i remember like hearing interviews with joe strummer and say how like you know some of the guys they like to to, to smoke reefer or whatever and so like that they designated a spot to it because that wasn't something that should be in the studio like while they're trying to work so they were like you go to the spliff bunker no i mean we in england we might have done something like that but no there we were just you know we we, we no, I think they yeah. might have kind of uh, uh, trashed that law by the time I got here got there because I don't remember anybody going to any bunker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I just know that I, that, that was just uh, I think it was his uh, his idea that just to kind of like keep anything like that away from when you're working. So uh -huh. I don't know what that environment was like uh, at Electric Lady Studios. Well, they basically just camped out for two months. So, I mean, any kind of laws would have gone by the wayside after a while and become, and then people become laxed, you know, because mm. back when you could do such a thing, they just like were there every day and, you know, for wild two months, at, you know. Huh. Okay. 
Um, so I don't have something for every song. Like the next song, you got to move. Don't have anything for it. Kind of just wanted to skip it because I don't know. It's just not really one of the highlights of the record. I feel. Uh, it's man. It's Mississippi Fred McDowell. It's a great riff. If you've put play slide guitar, it's a great riff. The lyrics are great because if you've ever been forced to move, it really means something entirely different to you. You okay. know, it's like you know, it's like I mean, it, when when you know when you don't have control over your life, and that that song always comes to mind when I'm when I'm in periods like that. You know, and, and then uh, yeah. So and and the riff itself is just kind of evil. You know, it's just evil sounding. But anyway, this right, is right. It, it's a cover though. It's not their song. No, it's not their song. Like I said, it's it's right. an old blues song by Mississippi Fred McDowell. And what else is great about it is that they gave him credit on the record, which a lot of other English guys weren't doing at the time. Hmm. You know, I mean, right. they, they they weren't giving people credit and they were saying they wrote this and they wrote that and they didn't write anything. But the Stones did give, give McDowell credit for that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, well, you did say something that's interesting that I was not kind of putting together when I was listening to that song is that uh, that like that. Um, something that that motivates you to move right like uh and, and in this circumstance it's music you know so you listen to something that kind of uh moves you uh beyond your control to 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 move and that i guess you mean by that dancing right no it's not dancing at all this you may be high you may be low you may be rich child you may be poor but when the lord gets ready you got to move oh see what i mean when, okay. it's, when it's when it's time for you, you know, to to get going, then you got to get going, whether you want to or not. I don't think it has anything to do with dancing. You know, I mean, I didn't oh. write the song. I don't know. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, because I mean, it it just speaks to something else I've talked about with with somebody recently, where uh, we talked about how can how music can kind of um, how you can get lost in it, and like you know, you can end up just kind of being overcome by it subconsciously and you know you just kind of do whatever whatever it is that happens whether it's dancing or whether it's you destroy things or or whatever you know you've, <laughs> that's that's what we were talking about like they they ended up destroying things they were like breaking chairs in a in uh the the venue they were playing hmm so i mean that that's an interesting thing where i wasn't kind of thinking about that in, for this song yeah i mean like i said but the fact that it, it was you know written by you know this blues guy and, and and the lyrics as well just tell me you know that it it's about you not having control you know, mm -hmm. you know on a higher you, level though something kind of more, yeah 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 all right well that's cool thanks for for sharing that uh, that insight with me i appreciate yeah, that um so all right let's move on to the uh next song on the second side of the album bitch so a quote in the song is uh it must be love. It's a bitch. Great song. I mean, it's so, so energetic. So just crazy rock song. It's beautiful. I love it. Also, I mean, one of the reasons I think this album is so great that in terms of vinyl, what a great way to start the second side. Oh yeah. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a completely different groove than the first side. Um, I mean, any, any song on the first side, it's, you know, just immediately like brings you in and you just go, Whoa, you know, now I'm here. Now I'm right. hit. Yeah, I want to hear the next thing. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, so bitch, you know, with with thinking about that that quote from the song, uh, is love a bitch or is love good? According to your new song on uh, on your new album. 
Well, it depends on which type of love you're talking about. I mean, lo loving, you know, people and, and loving what you do um, uh, is good. Um, being in love, which I guess would, 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 would that make it a verb? Um, th sure. That's something entirely different. <laughs> and that can be a bitch. <laughs> that can be a bitch, yes. <laughs> right. With, with anybody or, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it can just be, it can, it, it, relationships, um, you know, are challenging as, you know, we evolve or de-evolve as people, you know? I mean, you, you go through, now I'm not saying you're bad or impossible, but it's like you, you go through different phases. And if you're, you know, sometimes yeah. you go, go together and sometimes you don't. And it's just kind of hard to find uh, whether or not that is the case, whether or not you are compatible with that person. And sometimes that is what is the bitch. Well, yeah. Well, also, I mean, on a much more blatant level, it's like I I don't you know understand really what compatibility is because I know a lot of people, and I've always observed this, like couples that have been together forever, you know, for 30, 40 years, and all they do is like yell at each other, but they love it. You know, is that compatibility? I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship like that, but they do. And, and it seems like it's, you know, it, it, it propels them on into the future or something. Yeah. Not, not all couples are like that. I mean, I, I just no, noticed that one. That's just an observation I have that like, yeah, there, there are certain things that keep um, relationships going for a long time. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I mean, like, I, I'm married. I've been married for... 14 years almost uh, from this October and you know and, and it's been a slog I mean it hasn't been easy you know I mean it's just like we, we don't fight constantly but I mean we do fight but it's just like you I, I, I kind of like I guess I think about that point like you know well what what is the point of this like you know if we're just gonna fight <laughs> you know you reach that point it's just like why why are we even together if we're, if we're just gonna fight you know like why can't we just kind of live harmoniously kind of like you know, together. And, and like, I don't know what well, it just, it, it's eternal, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think, um, that there's a species on earth that, um, you know, exists and, you know, in, in couples and in relationship with, without some kind of dynamic, you know, like happening. I mean, right. you know, it's like, it's just kind of who we are as, as animals, I guess. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Um, what is it? Um, doves mate for life i don't know if they have arguments or not you know right no like... i don't know if i've ever seen them argue but <laughs> i would love to know if they do and i'd love to know their secret if they don't <laughs> plus i mean you know marriage i mean I, i've been married it's it, it's um difficult in the culture we live in right now because i mean it's 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 things are complex um sure. and there's a lot of demands on people individually as well you know i mean and, and a lot of um different changes, you know, that they have to go through in order to um, kind of exist in, in the culture we live in. Yeah. I mean, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is like, maybe if the culture is simpler, then the relationship is easier. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this question. Well, I mean, because it's been, I mean, you know, ever since man, where there has yeah. been relationships. So, I mean, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's so much cultural as it is just like the, the dynamic between people. Well, you know? yeah. And, right. and I, I just, I don't know. It's just so hard. It is a bitch, isn't it? 
No, it is it is a bitch sometimes, but then again, there are other times when you know it it, it makes up for you know the fact that, yes. that it's a bitch, and that's what that's what keeps keeps you there. If it's just right. a total bitch, then you know it, it's uh, sooner or later you know something something's got to give. But right. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it, it, with that like he says, it's a bitch, you know, and 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 what's the definition of that in in these terms? It means you know something that like you know difficult and hard and and you know not easy to get on with, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we still try. Yeah. Also, another note on this song, which I, I love from a musician standpoint, Keith does this kind of BB King thing. We just goes, there's two notes, you know, and, and it says volumes. It speaks yeah. volumes, this whole thing. He's not like all over the place. Just, he just goes, there's two little notes. And it goes, it just makes the whole song great. Really? Where, where, where is that? It's in the, in, uh, in the breaks when the horns come in. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I gotta listen for that because yeah. I don't know if I've noticed it. It's interesting though, the little, little things, how the little things kind of like make all the difference. I always look for that, and I'm always surprised that, that I mean, they're, they're, they're always in there somewhere, rather I'm looking or not. I mean, there's things like I, I love it when I hear songs and, and things come out little tiny. Um, gestures let's call them and i never heard them or even knew they were there right yeah and and when it hits you it's just like oh that's beautiful oh my god yeah. that's great there's a there's a song well i know we're talking about this album i just want to go off for a second sure. there's a turtle song called um she's my girl okay uh, da, 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 da. anyway i can't really sing as good as them but in the verse the guitar just goes chunk and that's it Listen to it sometime. It's like a, a turtle song called "She's My Girl," and it's—I mean—it's it's a great song. It's like you know their har their harmonies, their vocals are amazing. But there's only one guitar hit in the verse, and I thought, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, weird. You know? What album is that on? It well, um, greatest hits. This, I mean, I'm not sure oh, which. Okay. You know, because like they released tons of singles. You know, so it would be, be on a greatest hits album. All right, all right. Because I know I have one of theirs in the house right now, actually. But, yeah. It's, uh... It's it's one of their biggest hits, so it's probably on it. All right, I'll take a look. All right, let's keep on moving. Um, we're gonna skip. I got the blues, just because I don't have anything for it. Okay. Um, move on to Sister Morphine. Uh, this is a weird song, right? Because like, how do, how do I say that exactly? This song is confusing to a lot of people. It's been kind of like interpreted in many different ways, right? Yeah. Let me start with you. Like, what 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 is your interpretation, or what what is what does this song do for you? Well, I mean, to me, it it, it brings to light how you, you can become how when you're lying in a hospital bed, and your only salvation is getting a shot of morphine, and and to to, to kill the pain. We know when you're in a, a lot of pain, and this was the case, especially, um, you know post-war um you know 50s and all that when it was you know they didn't have all, all these opioid op opioids and like man-made you know um uh, opium products i mean it was this morphine and and when you would you know in pain in the hospital that's what they gave you with a big syringe that's mm -hmm. what i always envision when i see that you yeah. know and the scream of the ambulance is sounding in my ear you know it's like i mean this is like being in an accident and needing a drug to make you feel normal or or just uh get rid of your pain 
Well, that's what I mean. I mean, right, right. Hopefully, getting rid of your payment is normal. <laughs> well, because you know, I mean, like like a, a, a an addict might use morphine just for you know recreational use. I mean, well, morphine's a little strong, but I guess you know some kind of opiate, right? Yeah, well, an, an addict would do that, but but to, to me, this isn't even though whatever. I mean, but this isn't from you know, the perspective of an addict. This is from the perspective of a patient. Right. You know? Right. Right. And so, I mean, you know. Keep keeping that in mind and, and referring to to what you're talking about. Um, you know, I know that you have uh, have uh, suffered cancer, yeah, and you are um, doing better, I guess. Right? I mean, you're not currently in treatment, or no, I'm I'm not in treatment. Um, um, I go back every three months and get all kinds of scans, and you know, and drink all kinds of weird fluids so they can see, you know, things inside. Um, um, but so far, I'm 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 good. You know, I mean, and that's why I mean. When I but when I was recovering from the chemo and radiation, I totally understood that song, Sister Morphine, because there are some pains that are just like unbearable. You know, right. I mean, just incredibly unbearable. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about this. I mean, they gave me like you know um, oxycotton and all this stuff, and I said, well, you know, now I feel sick and weird, so I don't want this. Okay, I mean, I'm yeah. a musician. I know, I know, I know this 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 is street. Okay, so. <laughs> And with all the things, um, they gave me morphine, and it was great. What yeah. really made me feel, uh, took away all the pain, I mean, and made me feel like, a, like not that I was uh, kind of sick, but normal, was pot. Oh, yeah. Seriously. I, I mean, I, I was trying everything, you know. And I'm, I'm not really a big big pot smoke, smoker these days. But someone brought me someone, and I went, I didn't even get high. I just felt like my normal self. I went, this is hmm. great, you know. You yeah. Know? Oh, that's awesome. I mean... I'm a proponent to it, honestly. I mean, especially as medicine, that's great. If it if it can do, uh, you know, as good if not better than than any kind of like, uh, um, you know, oxycotton or or morphine or synthetic drug, by all means, I I I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not exaggerating about that either. It was it was the one thing with of all the drugs that they prescribed for me that really took away the pain and made me feel normal. Yeah, that's great. Um, so aside from, from pot, I mean, uh, I think I, I was liking to think about music in this search circumstance. So, you know, if you're, if you were so ill and I know that you were bedridden for quite some time, uh, was there any music that you sought out or looked to for comfort in that time? There's two things when I'm really going through a hard time, I always do. One of them is listen to Blonde on Blonde nonstop. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's you know, great. Um, and the other one is, um, and especially when they would put me into the tube to get the radiation radiation treatments, you get to choose whatever music you want to hear. And I would choose um, uh, uh, Chopin's Preludes, um, which are great, like you know, Opus Number Twenty Eight. It's like uh, amazing, amazing stuff. You know, Ch Chopin to me reminds me of Hendrix. When you yeah. listen to him, especially when you listen to a solo piano playing, it's like, it's just, he's like soaring, you know, and kind of taking it to all different tempos. So th yeah. those two things, I would say, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. Um, blonde on Blonde, I know. Chopin, I need to get into. Uh, yeah. Um, just, just look up Chopin's, if you can write this down, Chopin's play, Preludes played by Howard Shelley. Because that's the problem with a lot of classical music is that a lot of different people play it and not all oh, of them yeah. play it well, you know, I mean, right. this guy, Howard Shelley, really, I think he got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll look for it. Um, moving on to the next song, Dead Flowers. Um, 
So Dead Flowers, I, I don't know. Tell me if you think I'm wrong here. But uh, during the chorus, does it sound to you like the singer has this weird confrontational relationship with the, the character in this song? It's kind of like he's saying, it's kind of like he's saying he needs to kill them with kindness type thing, right? Like, uh, well, you know, the lyrics... them throughout, he's mocking them throughout the whole song, you know, when you're sitting there in your self upholstered chair talking to some rich folks that, you know, you yeah. know, right. But then the, but the chorus, it's like, and then you can send me dead flowers every morning, send me dead flowers by the mail, send me dead flowers to my wedding and so forth. And then he ends it with, I won't forget to put roses on your grave. Yeah. You know, it's It's kind of like this thing where it's just like, I kind of say, I kind of say it like killing me with kindness. But it's something where it's just like, no matter how much you want to disrespect me, how, how much you want to hurt me, um, I'm going to, to to give you this kind of like moment of grace or something like that, that this pass of some sort, right? Well, I mean, that, you could say that, but this is also kind of a, a country music narrative slash blues narrative where you, know, you can be as bad as you want to, but I'm going to outlive you and put roses on your grave or dance oh, on your grave or whatever. I see. Know? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I'm go, I'm going to win. I get the last laugh. Right. Okay. All right. Well, because so I mean, with me thinking about the whole killing him with kindness type of thing, I was thinking that like the music business can be a sticky one uh, with a lot of big egos and contention in it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I get a vibe from you that maybe that's the way you would deal with a situation, you know, like kind of kill somebody with kindness. Oh, let me think about that. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. There were periods in like, no, 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 not necessarily. I, I, I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I see what you're saying. I mean, um, I'm, I've never come off as a kind of ag aggressive, violent individual, but I do defend myself. Um, so, um, and if, if I were to do that, it, it would be so sardonic and so sarcastic, you know, I mean, that I mean, and which means I have just absolutely no respect for you that I can't even confront you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, is there, is there any circumstance you can think about where, where it was kind of something like that, like uh, in the music business, kind of, kind of particularly? <clears throat> In the music business, uh, well, I, I, this wasn't really me killing them with kindness, but in a way it was because I completely ignored them. I was at a very fancy restaurant, and there's two guys, at, um, and I'm in the men's room, and there's two guys at the urinal, and they're talking. And one goes to the other. Punk rock started in Japan. This guy went to Japan and saw the Japanese guys playing punk and took it back to England, and that's how the Sex Pistols got their start. And I'm just thinking, okay. okay, do I say something? No, they're too far gone. It, it's it's not it's not you know they're not worthy. You know, just like right. so that's like in in a, in, a, in a sense that was kindness because I ignored them. <laughs> right, right. And plus, I mean, if you did get into it, you'd end up in this whole long ordeal of an argument, right? That like you don't want to have to have. I don't want to have an argument about fact. Right. I mean, it's just like you'd be arguing your point to somebody that's just, it's just pointless to have this discussion with them. You know, obviously exactly. they don't, they're not music fans. They're not, you know, kind of music literate to a degree. Yeah. 
But I mean, at the same time, I, I mean, I do have an obligation to the truth, and I could have tried to set them straight. But I could, like, like I said, I mean, they're just not worthy. Of it. I mean, if, if they, who would think such a thing? I mean, it's like, <laughs> what a wow. premise, you know? I mean, uh, God. All right. Um, moving on to the last song, "Moonlight Mile." I have a uh, I have a uh, quote here from Mick Jagger. <clears throat> the The feeling I had at the moment was how difficult it was to be touring, and how I wasn't looking forward to going out and doing it again. It was a very lonely thing, and my lyrics reflected that. Is that kind of how you interpret the song? It's one of my favorite songs to listen to when I'm touring in a in a bus and doing you know 10, 15 hour drives across the Midwest at night. It's just it's a it's a very lonely song, and I mean it just it's kind of comforts you when you when when you hear it. It, it, it. That's what comes to mind. Even before I started touring, I just I pictured like driving you know somewhere at night under the stars and like just knowing that you're going to be doing this for a while. You know, so it's right. it's kind of a lonely lonely song, but also it's a beautiful song too. I mean the 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 melody, the the, the guitar part, it's it's really. Um, really beautiful i mean every, everything about it you know yeah no i i love this song i mean it's such uh, uh like i'm not too i'm not incredibly familiar with this record like you know when you chose it i kind of got into it and started listening to it uh more and more and i certainly know a lot of these songs but this one i wasn't so familiar with and it mm -hmm. definitely stuck out to me as just like a gripping one you know it has yeah. a lot of feeling behind it a lot of feeling jagger singing great the end part is you know, almost orchestral in a way which is weird for them um and what and i'm always a huge fan of anyone that can record acoustic guitar properly and the opening of that acoustic guitar the, and the wood in the guitar just says says it all i mean mm. you, you could actually almost end the song there you know after that guitar comes in it's like really great yeah yeah it's a great standalone piece right like the guitar um so I don't know. So the song, I mean, obviously it's very much a road song, and then Lovelorn at that. Um, exactly. You've done you've done quite a bit of touring over the years, and I'm just curious uh, how you've coped. I like touring. Yeah, I, I mean, you don't I, find I, strain in it. Oh, it puts a strain on your relationships. That's for sure. You know, I mean, one of the reasons I stopped saying touring was because my son became of age and I'm um, like about, you know, 13 or 14. And I thought, hey, well, I have to find some way to make money in New Yorkers in not touring because I was gone up until then, sometimes nine months at a time. Hmm. Um, so um, but as far as my per personal self goes, I, I like I like meeting people. I like going to new places. I haven't been everywhere in the world. I like playing music to people. So, I mean, right. as long as it's comfortable, I mean, you know, there's always a, a tad bit of danger involved. But, um, it, yeah, it, it, it doesn't, you know, it, you know I, I, like, I like doing it. Having said that, I, I, like I, it's good to do it comfortably as opposed to, like, sitting in, in a van freezing cold and trying to get some sleep while you're propped against the window. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. There are different yeah. kinds of touring, you know? But, oh, it's, sure. but, yeah, but the idea of touring, I, 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 I still like it. I hope to tour in this new record. Yeah, no, I know. Um, I mean, like, so I was just curious, like with touring, <clears throat> like you've mentioned, you know, obviously it's uh, it's not as uh, enjoyable to tour in a, in a van in the winter, but uh, like, what are the ups and downs of touring? Um, 
very little control over your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and in in the sense that you have to go where you have to go, and you have to be there, and then you have to um, go to the next place and be there, and um, it, it, that all takes preparation, and, and it's very hard to do anything else with right. your life while you're on the road. Yeah, that is what you're doing. I mean, which you know is also great in a way because you think um, you wake up in the morning and go, "What do I have to do today? Play the guitar." Awesome. <laughs> you Just know, gotta I mean, get there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, but you, you, you really, um, it, it's you do lose control over the, the factors of your life, and just like there's not much else you can do while you're touring. But tour, you can't stop saying, "I'm so, I'm sorry, guys, I can't make it tonight because of blah blah blah." You know, and you, know, you guys have to play whatever you know theater without me. It doesn't doesn't work like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you hope everybody around you stay safe at home, and every so you don't have to. You know, sometimes things happen, and people have to leave tours. You hope that doesn't happen to you, um, and um, you hope you have privacy sometimes because that's another thing as well. So because like touring, it's why bands only last sometimes five years because it's, it's much like a five-way marriage, for, you know. Right. And, yeah. and 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 you see each other sometimes twenty-four-seven. I mean, not twenty-four-seven. I mean, aside from. <laughs> five or six hours that you may sleep it's sometimes you may do that and then find the other person in a bed across from you still so it's it, you know there's a, there's a lack of privacy you know, which right. is which is hard that, that's what i think is the, hard, the hardest part to deal with because you you don't really have privacy backstage um you know while you're on a bus because you're on a bus with people i mean you know there are ways to get around it like reading and putting headphones on but um yeah, if, if there were a downside, I would say that was it. But other than that, um, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I admire that you want to get back out on the road for, to tour on this new record. Um, I know that you're still kind of uh, in the midst of trying to find an agent, right? Yeah, we're still looking for a booking agent, you know, that will get us on the opening slot or something like that. I mean, right. we're playing April 6th at um, a place called Union Pool in Brooklyn. For the record release party, so and we've been playing for like the past year. Yeah, yeah, but not like a not a state tour. Like you know, when you tour, it's usually like a certain amount of dates for like a certain exactly. amount of time. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So I mean, um, I mean, what 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 would you like to to see happen at this point as far as uh, touring is concerned? I would like to get an opening slot with a band. You know, I mean, open for somebody on a tour. I mean, we're not really, you know, the, the record. How can I say? I can't headline at this point, but I would I would like to do an opening slot playing theaters. I would love sure. that, you know, yeah, yeah. in in America or Europe or in Asia as well. Hmm. Yeah, can I ask you about the new record? Because uh, I've listened to it. I got an advanced copy of it, and um, I really enjoyed it uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, and I went back into your catalog and kind of listened to other things that you've done. And I feel like it's a different sounding record. Yeah, I mean, I put songs on this that kind of I've always wanted to do. I mean, not that I didn't on the last record on the Naked Flame, but yeah. on the Naked Flame, my main objective was just to make a sputtering guitar rock and roll record. You yeah. know that I had I, because I, I played you know behind people you know and all that, and I thought, no, I'm just gonna just gonna bah, just put it out there and make this guitar album. On, yeah. on this album, I'm making an album of songs. You know, not that the other didn't have songs, but I'm, uh, I, I, there's more texture in it, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And more, more uh, variety as far as like kind of genre even, I feel, right? Yeah. Like it's mixed, you mix it up quite a bit on this one. 
And that's a kind of a new thing that seems to people these days. Or I mean, but to me, like the, the albums we discussed, I mean, all all my favorite albums do that, where there's a, a mixture of genres, and it'll go sure. take you here, and it will take you there. So yeah, so I did that on this one. Yeah. Okay. And that so that was like kind of a conscious thing to kind of be like, let's break this up. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I thought, okay. I have some songs that I want to record. Um, some of them have been sitting around for a while. Some of them are new. And I'm going to record them all and see if I can put them all on the same record and and see if they work together. And they did. Didn't have to, but they did. Right. Cool. Well, that's great. I mean, hey, it's a, it's a great record. Um, Thank you so it, much. It's being released on vinyl, isn't it? Yes. Actually, I'm, I'm waiting for the test pressing tomorrow i got one but let's not talk about that <laughs> and um but i'm getting another one tomorrow and um uh yeah and then it is coming out in vinyl probably in july they tell me okay which cool. is kind of fast these days it is that is very i love yeah, vinyl. That, that's one of the things i would wanted to know about i mean like um i mean what is what is your collection like currently my record collection yeah um all the things we mentioned on vinyl and on cd i mean i i gotta say let me think about this maybe from uh maybe from about 2000 i don't know 15 um i i, I have more cds than vinyl but i, I have a wall a whole wall full of vinyl because i love it I, I even bought some pj harvey stuff on vinyl recently you know mm. because you know i i like it i like the you know that the usual reasons, you know, the artwork, the holding it in your hands, the, the, how it's tact the tactility of it. I mean, just everything, you know. And, yeah. and lately, especially with my own record, I'm finding, wow, there's actually a side one and a side two, as opposed to just putting a gap on it like I usually do on CDs. You know, it's like, no, you have to get up and turn the record over. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Did that did that influence your uh, your sequencing of it? Yes, because side A was side B and vice versa. Because when I first made the record, I listened to it and thought, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. There shouldn't be, but there is. And I reversed. So side B became side A and side A became side B. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of how re records are made. And I find, I mean, there's, there's a lot of doctoring that goes on. For instance, I'm not a drone alone. Um, left was right and right was left. I switched the sides and that made sense. There's another song called Tell Me Lies where the guitars are like jangly, jangly, jangly. I made it mono. I love mono. I made it mono weird. and all of a sudden it, the, the song just came at you and made sense that way. Oh, weird. Okay. No. That's cool. All right. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm looking forward to grabbing it on vinyl when it comes out. I'm uh, going to go to Pravda Records and uh, you know search their, their catalog and uh, see if they're doing the pre-order now. And, uh, and I'm going to go pick one up. Well, thank you so much. I'm pretty sure they are because because Pravda's great, by the way. They've been really good. I mean, I've I've, number, I've actually spoken to a few of the artists so far uh, on on the label. So yeah, they, they seem to be doing some great work. Yeah. Well, it's great. All right. Thank you so much, Ivan, for taking the time in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank it's been you an honor. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. They used to be in mind. Now all the pretty people. Vinyl and Vision is a psychic static production. The theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut.